Welcome to One Chapel. We're a family of neighborhood churches in the Austin area. Our vision is to help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. It's a place to connect, grow, and serve the communities where we live. You can learn more about One Chapel and how to get involved at onechapel.com. And now, here's this week's message. We are in a series, if you've uh, not been here for a while, uh, it's called At the Table, or if you're new, it's called At the Table, and we're talking about different people who Jesus had meals with and how that one meal actually impacted their life. And so we've talked about the woman at the well, we've talked about Zacchaeus, but we're going to talk today about one of the Bible and one of the New Testament's most significant characters, and this is Peter. He's one of the most significant people in the New Testament. If the gospel was Star Wars, then Peter is Han Solo, okay? If the gospel is Avengers, then Peter is Tony Stark. If the gospel is This Is Us, Peter is Jack Person. Uh, and if, the, if it's U.S. history, Peter is Alexander Hamilton. If it's Romeo and Juliet, Peter is Benvolio. I don't know if that's true or not. I just like to say Benvolio. But Peter is one of these significant characters who is a complicated character. And I think for a lot of us to understand our own faith, we can look at it through the story of Peter. Peter represents a complicated story that I think every Christian eventually goes through. So this message today is about a story that you've personally gone through or a story of someone that you know has gone through this story. And so I'm not sure where you're on the journey. I'm not sure if you're like, okay, this message is for me or maybe this message is for me someday. And this is a story that I'm gonna go go through. But pay attention because I think that it may kind of save you. And hopefully this story can either help you on the other side, get through some pain, or it can save you from a lot of pain. And so we're gonna tell, I'm a storyteller, that's how I'm wired. I went to film school, I was an English lit major, like I love all things story. And so we're gonna tell this story today in five acts. Everyone say five acts. Okay, so the five act structure, kind of the Shakespearean structure. And so it's gonna kind of take us on a journey. And so we're gonna look scripturally at the journey that Peter went on. And I think this is a journey that many of us have gone on as well. And so act one, everyone say act one. The very first thing that happens in Peter's story is Peter answered the call. This is your first fill in the blank. Peter answered the call. I'm not going to spend a ton of time at this point. Pastor Ross talked about this a few weeks ago in another message, but we need to have this context to really understand how Peter answered the call. So let's uh, read Luke 5, a really iconic passage. Luke 5, starting at verse 4, and it says this. When he had finished speaking, he, this is Jesus, said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught a large number of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners and other boats to come and help them, and they filled their boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell flat at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, for from now on you'll fish for people. Other other translations say you will be a fisher of men. So they pulled their boats up on the shore and and left everything and follow him. And so they said, okay, this for Peter was the moment. He said, you know what I'm doing? I'm answering the call. God has has a call for me in my life. And I think if you've ever kind of made that moment where he said, you know what? I am a Christian. I identify as a Christian. If that's been a moment for you, there was probably a lynch pin moment. There was probably one moment in your life where you're like, this is when I answered the call. 
And so I want you to think about that moment. When was that moment, that linchpin moment for you? Was it at a retreat? Was it in a kid's classroom? I grew up uh, in the 80s. The way that I learned the Bible was we had something called flanographs. And it was like an iPad of the 80s. It was literally like a flannel board and there was a little like felt Peter and they would put them on the board and like a little felt boat. And like, that's how I know Bible stories. When I think about Bible stories, I read them and I read the story and I still see the little flanograph boat with the little flanograph nets and the little flanograph boat started to sink. And I'm like, okay, that's what it looks like. And so it was just this little felt board and it, but those kids' classrooms, that was where I really made a decision for Jesus. Where did you make your decision? Was it an invitation to church? Was it a big concert, a big event? Was it just one day where you said, okay, God, I'm ready, I'm here. I'm submitting my life to you. So I want you to think about when you answered the call. And actually, there's a fill in the blank, but only you know the answer here. And so I want you to say, I answered the call when? And if you wanna play along today, you can kind of write in like, okay, this for me was the moment when I answered the call. And my question for you is, when you answered that call, when you said that prayer, when you had that moment, how did you think being a Christian was going to affect your life? What did you think was gonna be happening? Was it gonna make you happier? Was it gonna make you holier? Was it gonna make you kinder, faster, better, stronger? Was it gonna improve your marriage? Was it gonna have an impact on your career? What were your expectations when you became a Christian? I, I grew up as a pastor's kid and when I kind of said that prayer and got baptized, I was seven years old and I was just like, you know what? I'm gonna have the power of God in my life. Like I believed that, but at seven years old, I didn't quite know what it meant. And so I just started reading the Bible and anything the Bible said, I was like, oh, this is true, I'm gonna do this. And so I remember very vividly reading Mark 11:23, and it says this, I tell you the truth, you can say to this mountain, may you be lifted up and thrown into the sea and it will happen, but you must really believe it will happen and have no doubt in your heart. And so I grew up in Colorado Springs, outside of my like front porch, I could see Pikes Peak. And so I took my little Bible out there and I was like, that bad girl's going into the sea. <laughs> so I literally would go in the morning and I'd say, Jesus, throw Pikes Peak into the sea. And in my head, what would happen is I could see Pikes Peak like lifting up. This is, this is America's mountain. This is Purple Mountain's majesty. Like posters and postcards and there is this beautiful snow-capped mountain and I could picture it like a spaceship like lifting up and flying into Pueblo Reservoir and I'd be like I'm the best Christian in the world <laughs> the gospel <laughs> I thought that's what Mark 11 is about and my mom was like maybe it's more like a metaphorical mountain and I was like no 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 <laughs> this guy's going I believed I believed with my whole heart I remember 1 Corinthians 15, 51. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not sleep, but we'll all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of the eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. This sort of, this sort of verse, like uh, there was a movie that came out in the 70s, 80s uh, called, uh, what was it called, babe? It was called... Thief in the Night, thank you. <laughs> it was called A Thief in the Night. And I remember at youth group watching it, and Thief in the Night, if you don't know, is this rapture movie. This is before Left Behind, and it was there, and people are there, and then all of a sudden, they're like piles of clothes everywhere. And I was like, oh, that's me. That's gonna become me. So I wrote in my, like, like I wrote in my clothes, like, if raptured, call my mom, and like put a number in there. <laughs> so my principal would know, like, if I was at school and got raptured, I wanted my principal to know, like, what happened. And so I, really, I like, wrote, I wrote little messages, and I remember one time being a little seven-year-old on my bike in security, uh, Colorado, and I was riding down, and all of a sudden I heard this rumbling, and this rumbling was there, and I, I put my bike, and I put my kickstand up, and I was like, this is it. 
<laughs> this is the moment. And so all of a sudden I heard this, like this huge trumpet sound. And I just opened up my arms, <laughs> looked up, closed my eyes. And I was like, this is it. I'm going to be raptured. <laughs> I wasn't raptured. Spoiler alert. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be raptured. And then I looked over and then I opened my eyes and there was the high school band like right over there <laughs> warming up. And I was like, oh, maybe I don't understand 1 Corinthians 15 like I thought I did. But I took these verses to heart. I was like, I'm a believer. I'm going to have this power of God in my life. And I thought I knew exactly how things were going to turn out. I didn't need anyone else to explain it to me. I was like, I know, I know how this is going to go. And I wonder if when Peter heard Jesus say these things to him, what did Peter hear Jesus say? Like there was the words, but what meaning did Peter put behind the words? He said, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Well, to Peter, he was the king of the fish. I mean, he was there and fish were his livelihood. Fish were a way that he could go and fish were a way that Peter, the more fish he caught, the more money he made, the better he ate, the more powerful he was. So I wonder if Peter thought, I'm going to make you a fisherman. Peter, you are going to be so incredibly powerful. And there's scriptural precedent for this. There's lots of arguments between the disciple of like, who will sit at your right hand when you rule this kingdom, Jesus? Who will be your most trusted person? They thought of themselves as a kingdom, but they thought of this kingdom as overthrowing the Roman government and a new kingdom will arise. And so I'm going to be great in that kingdom. I'm going to be a fisherman. The Romans will bow before me. When I say yes to Jesus, I'm saying yes to the Romans bowing before me. That's what this thing is. So I wonder if that's what Peter heard. We certainly know that the disciples heard this idea of what they thought the kingdom would be. And so I think this actually put a lot of faith in Peter. We see so much incredible faith in Peter. And that takes us to act two, act two, which is Peter took a risk. And the truth is, Peter took a lot of risks. I think it's part of what we love about him. I think it's what makes him such a memorable character. But there was one risk that was more iconic than any other. And this happens in Matthew 14, starting in verse 22. And scripture says this, <clears throat> immediately Jesus went, made the disciples to get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and walked, came out on the water and came towards Jesus. I think someone's checking the soccer game score over there. <laughs> but Peter, he saw the wind and he was afraid and he began to sink and he said, Lord, save me. Later on in, the, in a few verses later, Jesus kind of corrects Peter and says, you know, you took your eyes off me. You fell down. You were afraid. But I don't think we really fault Peter for this. In fact, it's kind of inspiring. Peter took a risk and he failed. He started to sink. But we love the type of risks and the type of failures that are like you're achieving for greatness. We kind of give a big pass. If you're achieving for greatness and fail, that's okay. Those are the type of, that's the type of failure we respect. And uh, I think as people, and I think particularly Americans, we love this idea. In America, we love this idea of taking a risk and failing. Here's a few quotes I want to read to you. I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games 26 times. 
I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Here's another one. Many failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. That's Thomas Edison. Even the great C.S. Lewis says this, failures, repeated failures, are finger posts on the road to achievement. One fails forward toward success, C.S. Lewis. So we love this idea of failing risk. It's like, okay, you failed, but you were trying to go the right way. You were trying to do the right thing. And so this is a fail, idea of failure that we embrace. And uh, I know because I failed so many times in my life in really profound and spectacular ways. I was, um, I was eight years old and, this, and went to Disneyland with my family. We saved up all year. We went to Disneyland and we were like going in line for a certain thing. And so I was like, you know what, mom, dad, I really have to go to the bathroom. They're like, we're already in line. I was like, you know what, I'll just go and I'll meet you back. So I just took off. I was just bold, eight-year-old kid, just took off, went to the bathroom. I came back to the line and mom and dad weren't there. And I thought, oh no, they've been raptured. So they, they weren't there and I waited, I waited, I waited and I thought, okay, I'll wait at the end of the line. And so I waited for them to come out of the ride and they weren't there and I waited two minutes, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Finally, I was like, oh, they're not coming back. And so I'm like, well, I need to take matters into my own hands. And so you know what I did? This is a true story, I'm not embellishing this. Do you know what I did? I had a brilliant idea. I said, I'm gonna walk back to the hotel. So I literally got in the little Disney trolley and it's there and like Bambi's driving it and like get to the trolley. I go off and I get off my thing and I'm like, okay, I'm just like eight years old. Eight, I mean, this high, I was, I was shrimpy. I wasn't the Adonis you see before you today. I was, I was short back then. And so I was eight years old. <laughs> Why are you laughing, Jansen? I was eight and I was like, I'm just gonna walk back to the hotel, I'm gonna do it. So I started walking through the streets of Anaheim and I was like, I think it was a left here and I think it was a right here and pretty soon I was deeply lost in California, like with no idea like where to go and I was like, that's it, I'm gonna be a street kid and like, <laughs> this is how it starts. <laughs> I literally, I had no idea what to do. I was like, I don't know, what, what do you do when you're lost in California and you're eight? So finally, I kind of like went to a gas station and asked some people stuff and like figured out like how to get back to Disneyland and I'm just walking around the parking lot now and like totally crying. And so I know, sad. And so security guard like sees me and he's like, okay, are you okay? And I was like, I'm, I'm lost. My parents are gone or maybe they've been raptured. I don't know what happened. <laughs> so he like takes me and puts me on his little golf cart and takes me to like the lost kids area of Disneyland. <laughs> Have you ever seen like the original Toy Story where like under the bed there's all those like misfit toys with like different, that's like the lost kid at Disneyland area. Like that's where I was, which is like, we were all the misfit kids. Like one kid's like, I like fire. And I was like, oh man, <laughs> I'm really freaked out right now. We were just all the misfit kids. And so finally I went and my parents were there. They, they found me, they hugged me and they're like, never do that again. I promised I never would. And it was this really moment, but that was just kind of like me. I was the leap before I look type of guy. So when I read Peter and he just kind of like sees something and jumps and makes a decision, I'm like, yeah, I see that in me and it's got me in trouble, but it's got me into great places too. And so that risk I admire in Peter. But then things get even more complicated. And so if you have a moment where you took a risk and failed, you can go ahead and write that in your notes. I took a risk and failed when? And just write that moment as you're tracking your own story. Act three is this, Peter became disillusioned. 
We talked about the Last Supper, you know, a lot throughout this series. And at the Last Supper, Jesus actually predicted Peter would deny Jesus. In Matthew 26, 34, it says this, Truly I tell you, Jesus answered, this very night before the rooster crows, you, you, Peter, will disown me three times. And I wonder if Peter heard this story. And have you ever promised yourself, I will never do something like, I will never do this. I wonder if Peter heard this story and was like, I'm going to prove how brave and heroic and how I will never turn my back on you, Jesus. I wonder if that's what was in his head as we go later into John 18, where it tells this story. So this is after the Last Supper. They had all eaten. They went to a place to pray, and Jesus said, okay, we're just going to take some time, and we really need to pray together. So as they were praying together in John 18, uh, they were in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it says this. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying their torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing what was going to happen to him, went out to them and asked, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again, he asked them, what do you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you I am he. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so the words that had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave to me. Then Simon Peter, who had the sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? I want you to really think about this moment and think about what was happening. They were in the garden. They were praying. They were there. Peter probably fell asleep. We know some of the disciples fell asleep. And Jesus said, wake up. You don't understand how serious this is going to get. And so Peter was like, okay, I'm awake. I'm ready. And he sees the guys there. And all of a sudden he goes and he says, Jesus said, I'm going to not deny him three times. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know who I am. So he goes, he sees those guys coming at him. He takes out the sword and he, like picture your best movie speech ever. He's kind of putting on the makeup and he says, freedom, as he charges at those guys. He puts on the, the uh, makeup and he charges after them. He's ready to go. He's ready to fight. So he runs, he cuts off the high priest servant's ear and he's like feeling so great. And Jesus says, Peter, oh, what are you doing? You're missing it. That's not what this was. And I think Peter thought, this is the moment we've been waiting for. This is what Jesus promised us. This is when the war is going to start. And Jesus, notice earlier in the uh, chapter, Jesus actually knocked these guys down just by speaking his words. Peter's like, I've got the most powerful guy on my team. I'm going to cut you down. Jesus is going to speak the words. He's going to destroy you guys. And the kingdom is going to reign once and for all. I wonder if that's what he was thinking about. And then when Jesus looked at him and said, Peter, whatever you thought this was, you're wrong. This is not what God had in mind. And in that moment, I wonder if Peter felt completely disillusioned and said, oh, what I signed up for, what I answered the call to, that fisher of men stuff, what were we talking about? What is this? I wonder if he felt so disillusioned and so disheartened because we know Peter was there and what did he see? He sees Jesus get dragged away and he sees all of his best friends run and flee in every direction. And I wonder if he thought, this is all a lie, man. This is all totally fake. This is all made up. There's not going to be a kingdom here. What did I waste my life doing? What did I sign up for? Have you ever been disillusioned? Have you ever had that moment where you felt all in on something like, hey, I believe in this thing, I'm going for it, and then it completely fell apart? Have you ever had a pastor fail you? 
a pastor who you put your faith in and he completely failed you, he let you down? I have. Have you ever had a small group that you thought they were gonna be there no matter what? Through thick and thin, they are here for me. They fail you, they let you down. When you need them most, they're not there. Did you ever have a friend or a mentor who you really looked up to? You're like, okay, that person I can trust. And when you needed them most, they fell apart. When these things happen to us, we get disillusioned. And so I think Peter that night was completely disheartened and disillusioned and he saw Jesus being carried away. And so if you ever had that moment, that time when you felt disillusioned, you can write that down. I felt disillusioned when this happened. It's good for us to know those moments where I felt disillusioned. It may have been a long time ago. It may have been something really recently. It may have been something you haven't resolved yet. But this is the important thing to know, act four. Peter had a failure of character. We talk about, I was talking about failure in a minute ago and kind of the risk, the heroic way. But there's one type of failure that we don't forgive easily. And this is a failure of character. It's something that's completely antithetical to what you say you're gonna be. It's where the one type of people we don't tolerate in our culture is hypocrites. It's very difficult for us to trust a hypocrite. And Luke 22 paints a hypocritical story. Starting at verse 54, it says, then seizing him, they led him away and took him to the house of the priest, that's Jesus. Peter followed at a distance. And then some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together. Peter sat down with them. A servant girl saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him. Later, someone else saw him and said, you are also one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. Second denial. About an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with them, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. This is not just a failure. This is a failure that went against everything Peter stood for and believed in. If we were handicapping, like if we were taking bets on all the 12 disciples and we said, who's the one who's most likely to turn their back on Peter or turn their back on Jesus? Peter would have been the last one we picked. We'd have been, ah, Thomas, Thomas is gonna turn his back on Jesus. Ah, uh, Philip, he never says very much. He's gonna turn his back on Jesus. <laughs> We'd have picked all the different guys. Judas the Lesser, he's gonna turn his, Thaddeus, what does Thaddeus even do? He's gonna turn his back on Peter. <laughs> But uh, he's going to turn his back on Jesus, but not Peter. Peter will not be the one who turns his back on Jesus. But Peter was the one who did it, even though he promised him, not days, months, years earlier, hours earlier, Peter said, that will never be me, Jesus. And that's why he didn't weep. He wept bitterly. He thought, this is my best friend. He needed me most, and I failed him. I had a failure of character. And I think the reason I want to tell this story is because we think we, a lot of times I've heard this story of Peter's denial and we kind of hear it in just a moment. We hear it kind of by itself, but it's important to know all the different things that led up to it. And I think the things that led up to Peter's denial are one, it was a expectations. This is the way that Peter thought, this is what Christianity is. This is what following Jesus is. This is the way things are supposed to turn out. Then two, he got disillusioned. And then three, his character failed. And if you feel disillusionment in your life, in your heart, if you feel kind of bitterness about God, if you feel bitterness about church, 
If you feel bitterness about all these things, and nothing's really happened, but it's kind of there in the back of your mind, it's kind of there stewing in your heart, that sort of bitterness will turn into a failure character if you don't really turn, deal with it and turn to God. I've seen it happen, and I'm telling you, I'm standing on the stage, and I've had it happen to me. I'm looking you in the eye and saying, I've had failure of character because I didn't deal with my own disillusionment, because I didn't deal with my own bitterness. So I'm imploring you, if something's in your life and heart that's still kind of keeping you distant from God, don't let it just sit there. Don't let it turn into something that really costs you, that makes you fail, that makes you do something that you promised you would never, ever do. But there's good news. That's what the gospel story means. It means good news. And Acts 5 is this. Peter was reinstated. Jesus, this is after, so Jesus was crucified. He was resurrected. They went to the tomb. He was not there. It was incredible. And this miracle had happened and everyone was there. And it's like, okay, Jesus is back with us. All has been made new. And what does Peter do with all this news? He's, okay, Jesus is there. He's been made new. What did Peter do after that? Did he go in and did he preach sermons? Did he start healing people? No, he did none of that. He went back to the thing that he always did was he went fishing again. He's like, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I even have a place at Jesus' table anymore. In fact, I think I kind of missed it. Someone else will be there. John, he still loves. There's other guys who he loves, but I don't have a seat at Jesus' table anymore. I'm just gonna go fishing again. So that's what Peter does. After the resurrection in John 21, Peter goes fishing. But verse 11 says this. Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. So after he is fishing, Jesus actually appears to him. Just like he did at the beginning of the story, Luke 5, there are two, I don't know if you realize this, but there are two fishing and cast the net stories in the gospel. One is Luke 5 and one is John 21. And they're kind of at the tail ends of Jesus' interaction with Peter. Luke 5 is at the very beginning. John 21 is one of the last recorded encounters that Jesus has with Peter. And so he goes and he tells him, cast the net on this boat again. And it happens again. Peter climbed back on the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to him. And he did the same with the fish. This is now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he raised from the dead. When they finished eating, Simon, he's, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said. You know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to them, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked Jesus the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And it was more than a command. If you look, if you're reading kind of the Bible and you look at the uh, kind of subject heading over this passage, do you know what this passage is called? Who knows? Bible scholars. What's this passage called? Anyone know? It's called Peter's reinstatement is what this passage is called. So it's like Peter is being reinstated into ministry. Jesus, this conversation at the table could have just happened. Jesus and Peter walking down the road, but Jesus actually sat around the campfire with these guys and he said, hey, Peter, I want you to listen to something. I want you to feed my sheep because I trust you to do that. 
everything that I said, that you're going to be the rock that I was going to build this church on, that hasn't changed. Your failure did not change that. Your mistake did not change that. It didn't change your identity. I still affirm who you are. I still affirm what I've called you to do. Peter, feed my sheep. And I think it's important, and what's really interesting is the first time, what does Jesus say? I will make you a fisher of men. And so what do fishermen do? They go, they catch fish, it happens quickly. Then this time he says something different. He says, feed my sheep. What's the difference between a fisherman and a shepherd? Well, shepherding takes a lot longer. It's a slower journey. It's a day by day taking care of those sheep. And I think this was the epiphany moment for Peter where he finally got it. He got what Jesus was talking about. He's like, oh, this wasn't about ruling a kingdom. This wasn't about thinking about me being great and sitting on the right hand side of Jesus. This is about all those people who Jesus sat at the table with, the sick that he healed, the, the lame that he made walk again, the people who he restored, the people he looked at the eyes on, the lepers who no one else would talk to and Jesus talked to those people, taking care of those people. That's actually what following Jesus is about. Those are the sheep. That's what Jesus entrusted Peter to do. Feed my sheep. And it's so profound that this happened in front of the other disciples. And so for you and your story, this is my question today. I want you to think about your journey with God. I want you to think about kind of that moment that you wrote down at the beginning of like, okay, this is the moment where I answer the call and the moment right here, right now, today, where you're at. And I want to ask you a question. When was that time that you felt closest to God? I'm not necessarily talking about a moment, like a mountaintop experience, but if you looked like at a season of life where you said, you know, this is when I felt closest to God. When was that time? Think about that for a moment, and you can even write that in your blank. I felt closest to God when? And if that time is not today, if that time is not your season right now, I want to invite you, maybe you can make that time again today, right now. Maybe it doesn't have to be like, you know what, Rob? I used to be, when I was early saved, just like you were talking about, that passion, that fire. I had that. That was me. But then a lot's happened. I got busy. I got laid off. My pastor failed me. Things have gone wrong. This didn't turn out the way that I did. So it, that passion used to be there. But honestly, it's not anymore. That doesn't have to be the way. That doesn't have to be the definition of your story. The definition of your story can be like, okay, God, here today, I want to be as close to you as I ever have been. God, here today, right now, after the 4th of July, sitting in Austin, Texas, I'm going to make a decision of like, okay, God, I want to walk closer to you than I ever have before. I want to walk in your will and your plan for my life. I want to be reinstated the way Peter was reinstated. My best days are not behind me. My best days, my closest days to you are ahead of me, and I want that, God, and that's my prayer today. One chapel, that's my prayer for you this morning that your best days are ahead. So I want you to think about that time, think about your moments. And I want you to challenge you this. Don't let faith be something that used to define your life. Let your faith be real today. If you're here and you ended up in church somehow and you got invited or you stepped into church for the first time in a long time, I want to say you are welcome here. You belong here. You have a seat at the table. The gospel story is about a God with wide open arms saying, Think about what, forget about what you think you know about me. Get to know who I actually am. Get to have a real relationship with me. So in just a few moments here, we're going to take communion. And as we do that, I invite you to really come to this kind of practical table that we have here. You can take the bread, you can take the juice. 
and just take some time and say, okay, God, if I've been distant from you, if I had that failure of character, I wanna walk close to you again. Or maybe it's not your personal failure of character. Maybe there's someone else in your life who's failed you. And because of that failure, you're like, you know what? God, you're gonna fail me too. And you've kept yourself distant. I wanna invite you as we come to the table today to make things right with God. And sometimes it's just that, that distance that you feel from God. If you feel that distance from God, I wanna look you in the eye and tell you something. That distance is not a distance God has created from you. That's a distance you've created from God. He's here, he's right here. And he's saying, you are welcome, you are loved, you belong. So we're gonna take communion. You're all invited to it. At one chapel we practice open communion, which means everyone's invited to the table. Even if you're not ready to take communion, we just ask that everyone goes through the lines and take communion together. I'll pray and then we'll come to the table. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this message. This is your message of how you want to heal us. You wanna heal us from disillusionment. You wanna heal us from our failures. You wanna heal us from the times where we felt distant from you. Lord Jesus, I pray today as we come to the table that we come seeking you, that we walk to you, that we draw near to you. This is our prayer, Lord, in your name. Thanks for joining us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, you can learn about groups, teams, and more at onechapel.com welcome. You can subscribe to future messages from One Chapel on your favorite podcast player. And of course, you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11.30. See you next time.